today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group, bringing DC lessons to PA. We really like what the federal government is doing with login.gov. We like the idea that an identity should precede a citizen's interaction with government. Moving through change management, a little bit at a time. I mean, large changes scare people, right? They break things. So, you know, our approach has been just, you know, 1% improve just get better every day. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. 34 states and territories have already signed up for the $45 billion in broadband funding from the federal government. The program from the National Telecommunications and Information Agency has been available for a little less than two weeks and will distribute money marked for broadband from last year's federal infrastructure law. The remaining states and territories have until July 18th to apply. Georgia CIO Shanzia Thomas says the concept of constituent first has fueled her first year in the job. Thomas says a big part of that strategy is cloud migration. The state is currently in the middle of a sprint to migrate as many applications as possible from its on-premise data center to the cloud. Chicago's public school system is notifying 500,000 current and former students as well as 60,000 current and former employees of a data breach. K-12 vendor Battelle for Kids was hit with ransomware last year, which resulted in the exposure of the district's data. No social security numbers, health records, current class schedules, or financial information was included in the breach. You can read these stories and more at statescoop.com. You'll also find links in today's show notes. As Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf's administration comes to an end early next year, Commonwealth CIO John McMillan's work on customer service transformation will continue. The state's IT agency has been leaning on several executive orders from Wolf on citizen engagement, open data, and more to drive progress. McMillan says the work touches every area of how the state does business. So we've been working on customer service transformation since 2019. It was preceded by a digital lab. We brought many agency heads we really started thinking about constituent experience differently. The digital marketplace sets expectations for constituents on how they want to interact with the business. And we think that that is a great model for interacting with the state government. Some key aspects to it, and it's included in a visionary executive order that Governor Wolf signed in 2019. The name of that executive order is Citizen First. The effort behind it is customer service transformation. The idea is it takes time, people, and money to accomplish the six design goals of customer service transformation. Single login, you can hear identity. Single portal, single destination, great one place to go. A common look and feel. It'd be great if constituents could trust a application or website by knowing it was an official government website or application. The idea of a a single phone number is part of it. We want the data that these applications and site administer to be consistent, whether the constituent wants to deal with us online, in person, or on the phone. We think it's really, really important. A lot of folks talk about application modernization. We like to talk about data modernization it's the key to all of these six design principles. The idea of a um, customer satisfaction survey. We have many sites that already have this uh, built in, and when citizens are finished interacting with us, they can leave some ideas behind. Did they find what they want? 
Do they have suggestions for improvement? And then we take that back in and figure out how do we make that service a little more effective. If I could talk about identity for just a second, it's fundamental. We really like what the federal government is doing with login.gov. We like the idea that an identity should precede a citizen's interaction with government wherever they are in the US. And we really, really like this. We have about 11 million identities in our repository today. And they span lots of digital interactions. It's not completely harmonized. Uh, this year, our business one-stop shop turned four years old and it takes the burden of navigating the complexity of government off the constituent. It masks four agencies, five program areas, and has all of the design points of our uh, citizen first executive order. Single place to go, single identity, a single phone number, a, a, uh, a customer satisfaction survey, all looks and feels and the constituent, the new business entrepreneur doesn't have to figure out, do I go to the Department of Revenue or do I go to the Department of State or Labor and Industry? How, how do I do all of this? It's a great guided interaction and all of that complexity is masked. Now we're looking at it as a platform to build out additional ideas. So for example, if you created a business like a restaurant that needed inspection, now we can connect you to a restaurant inspection and that will all show up once you log in in that single destination or portal. So when you talk about that, I mean, so many states across the community are working on uh, sort of that single single center for all of these services. Uh, and and you, like I said, you've been working on it for, for a couple of years now. I mean, where do you see it going? How do you see it growing into the future? We, we see it and it's so important for us this idea of consistent execution makes a big difference. Um, and so through the executive order, we believe we have the authority to continue to guide this. The progress that we have made is based upon decision rights, it's based on a collaborative investment, and most importantly, it's based upon um, decision-making or governance with agencies because they're investing. We've made this progress one project at a time with those guiding principles helping us understand that this is a great thing to achieve and as you know in many other states and in pennsylvania lots of decisions include compromise uh you, you talked about identity uh identity is it's certainly you know on the nasio list certainly climbing to the top uh, but it's also really just conversationally over the last couple of years become such a big topic i mean the transition from the traditional approach with Active Directory mm -hmm. to now a more modernized approach with vendors like Okta and Auth0 and all these companies. Uh, how are you looking at identity? How are you seeing it sort of fuel your approach going forward? So where we started was all that traditional approach. We had uh, in roughly 2016, about 250 different versions of identity management. Some of them were built into unique applications very little of it was shared. A lot of it was based on the operating system. And so we have matured that. We have created this idea of groups of identities. We have three basic ideas. 
employees, constituents, and businesses. And again, in that grouping, we have about 11 million identities, and there's just under 13 million citizens in Pennsylvania. So we've come a long, long way. As we've matured our identity management, we've added features, second factor verification, uh, third party identity proofing, uh, connection with cloud-based services, all the popular ones, I'm sure you can figure those out. We continue to build and mature this capability. We're adding in new features that will stand the test of some federal regulation, like criminal justice regulation, like tax regulation. These are the kinds of things that are really important for us, and we can build those out. And since it's part of constituent or uh, customer service transformation, it's critical that we do it well. I want to go back to data modernization versus application modernization. Uh, that's a, it's an interesting approach because you know one of the common themes that we hear is how data underlies everything in government. So really, every project is sort of a data project. Uh, but that is a that's a very specific focus when you're thinking about that level of modernization. So tell me a little bit more about that and, and some of the components of that strategy. Great. Uh, in 2016, there was another executive order for open data as part of customer service transformation. We hired a chief data officer, and now we're thinking about data a little differently. We view data, as you mentioned, as the lifeblood of the organization, but in order for data to traverse, if you will, different business program areas, you have to know that identity. It has to come with it. So we're starting to promote the idea that if we thought of data in public sector like money in the financial sector, we would think about it differently. We would want to protect it differently. And most importantly, we would want it to return an, an, at least some, in, some amount of benefit like uh, you would do in a financial investment, like a return on investment, but, but not exactly the same idea. So for example, if we knew Jake in one agency and part or some of that data was needed downstream, there are lots of barriers built in to fundamental data sharing. We wanna change those ideas. A couple of years ago, we hired a chief privacy officer to complement the chief data officer, right? It's sort of like Jiminy Cricket. You need somebody to just remind you what your values are sitting on your shoulder going, don't forget about the law. That is really important. And so when we're thinking about things like what's happened in Europe, what's happened in California, we want to make sure that citizens know that we're thinking about their privacy, that we're able to inventory their data. It's also one of the key attributes of our data management program under the chief data officer, that we're looking at all of these kinds of things. Let me give you an example of, of identity and how we, how we would break that down a little bit. Lots of uh, applications, although they had that unique kind of set of identity management, many of them are collecting the same data elements, name and address and phone number and emails. Wouldn't it be great if we could aggregate that, protect it, and now rather than each, each application collecting those elements, there was something like a citizen record or a golden record. And that information could then be managed by the constituent. And if you updated it in one spot, it would precede you to those other places you're going. If you change your address, 
let's say you move from Philly to Pittsburgh, changed it with uh, uh, driver services, it would flow into taxation and unemployment and your business. Like, we just think that that is the way constituents expect government to operate. And we're embracing it. So one last thing on, on data, uh, you know, open data had a moment in the early 2000s, uh -huh. the early, early 2010s. Uh, and now I think it's, it's still around, obviously, it's still a it big is. part of what folks are doing, but it, people are coming at it a little bit differently. And you talked about that 2016 executive order. Uh, now in 2022, how are you approaching something like open data and how does that fit into the greater data strategy across the state? So when we look at open data, we kind of see it from two different angles, right? It's the idea of being able to use data sets that are demanded by uh, academia or businesses with, that they could use it to develop other opportunities. But we also see it now as an opportunity to harmonize things like reporting. And so instead of when you're thinking about data modernization and application modernization, reporting modernization is part of it. And if uh, consumers could go to the same location and get the data that they need, and it was uh, being able to be visualized using common tools like uh, trending charts or pie charts or all of those time-driven time series, it changes the way each one of the projects that would need to build out reporting considers its scope. We can connect our open data uh, portal to those data sources and a lot of the fundamental reporting, like budget reporting or lots and lots of other things, transparency reporting, it all now flows in somewhat real time from the system of record. Wouldn't that be great? So we're thinking about it. We've matured our thinking and we've grown our, the number of data sets. We started at zero in 2016, late 2016. We're well above 500 open data sets. Governor Wolf, term limited, this is the end of his tenure. You talk about how so much of this work was established in the executive orders and in you know, this policy set forth. Uh, what is your hope, vision, uh, excitement level about this stuff going forward into a new administration? All administrations come to an end after a certain amount of time. But we, what we think we've done by including authoritative documents like executive orders is we've laid the basis for future consistent execution. Strategies may change, but consistent execution, I think, is what ultimately drives an organization to better outcomes and success. We think we've accomplished that, and we think it will stand the test of time. John McMillan, CIO for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. You can read more about the state's Citizen First journey and about McMillan at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. I'm Jake Williams, host of State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Next week on the show, New York State CIO Tony Riddick returns to give an update on cybersecurity in the Empire State. You can subscribe to the podcast at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. IT consolidation is moving forward in Connecticut with the signature of Governor Ned Lamont on the state's budget. The funding builds on work that state CIO Mark Raymond has already had underway for several years. Raymond says the signature is just the latest step in the state's digital government journey. Well, it's something that we've been working on for the last several years because we're taking an incremental approach to it. This the budget uh, approval is really the last step of the formality, uh, but it's a journey. 
you know, we, we're changing incrementally so that we don't break the business. We're investing in our people, exposing their trust in, in seeing how uh, additional uh, scale will really help bring greater value to all that we do in government. We need to do more with technology, and the consolidation effort allows us to do more. It's not about saving money, it's about doing more with the people and skills that we have today. It's really exciting. I think it's interesting you, know, you talk about with the consolidation, it's not about saving money, it's about being able to, to do more and to, to get stuff yeah. done. T dive into that a little bit. What's on that roadmap? What's on that horizon of stuff you want to get done? Well, if you think about it, the, the digital government enables people to more efficiently interact in an online way. That actually frees up resources for us to spend with the people who may not be able to interact with us digitally. It's a, it, you know, it may not be treating everyone the same way, but it treats them in the way that they need. That's that's a more responsive government. And so, so we believe that those investments really help us to be a more responsive government, be a more accessible government, and, and really provide a level of interaction and service that, that people need. One of the things that I, I've been talking to CIOs a lot about lately is that you know something like consolidation, even any of these big sweeping efforts that are underway in governments across the country, uh, can be super overwhelming to to uh, go forward with. And you talked about how you've been working at this incrementally over the last several years. Uh, how have you done that? What advice do you have for folks who might be embarking on something similar? Yeah, I mean, large changes scare people, right? They break things. So you know, our approach has been just you know one percent just get better every day. That, that requires you to talk to people and build new relationships. It requires us to continue to run our businesses, which are complex. Uh, and, and it allows us to move forward in a way that doesn't create fear, like, you know, that it's going to be too big, or people are going to be displaced. And this is really about helping everyone get better, whether it's automating someone on uh, you know, a new employee, coming on board and bringing automation to that. It's a small example of how we just are making every day one step more efficient. You know, you've been in the role longer than most state CIOs at this point. I think you've passed 10 years, correct? Yeah, almost yeah, 11. Almost 11. So so if you're almost 11 years in, I mean, what are some of the biggest changes that you know kind of shock you? If you really sit back and reflect, how, how are you looking back at the role being like, wow, I just can't believe that happened? Uh, you know what? I attribute this a little bit to the pandemic. The, the pandemic. Mark Raymond, CIO for the state of Connecticut. You can read more about him and that IT consolidation. And in links in today's show. No, the so Priorities Podcast is available wherever you If you haven't already, please leave a review or a rating on the podcast page. They make it more likely that more people like you will find the show. This podcast is a product of Scoopers Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helped put it together, and the entire Scoopers Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Most of the excuses off the table the, the work from anywhere is a, another good example. I mean, we're in this weird period where some states are going back full time, some states going back in hybrid. And I know you've been vocal about what you're thinking about and working on in Connecticut. How, what's your latest thinking on the work from anywhere stuff and where are you on that? We still are promoting, at least on the technology resources, that we're primarily 100% remote where people want it. We'll create the spaces for people to work and we're designing intentional interactions to bring people in. So the Friday before this conference, we had an uh, all-day retreat for our management team so that we can work with each other. 
I don't want people in the office just to be on a video call with someone else. That's a waste of resources to get there, and, and it's not useful to have people together. If we're working, collaborating, or designing, if we're exploring, who's the reason why we should be and last, I mean, last question again. You know, almost eleven years in the role. When you're looking forward, when you're thinking about what's next, uh, what's top of mind? What's on the horizon for Connecticut? And then, you know, again, you've also been in a part of organizations like this for a while. What's on the the, the horizon for state CIOs across the board? Well, at least for us in Connecticut, it's the next step. You know, in, in our digital government journey, we heard earlier that that's been a twenty year journey for NASIO still, and there's more to come, and we're still on that the priorities podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts if you haven't already please leave a review or a rating on the podcast page they make it more likely that more people like you will find the show this podcast is a product of scoop news group in washington dc james mahoney helped put it together and the entire scoop news group team contributes until next week i'm your host jake williams 